Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I want to bring you a, a message of hope this morning despite all the chaos in the country that's going on. And I know there's a lot of bad. I'm not... You know, I'm not covering that up or ignoring that. I, I often talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, but I, I just wanna say as you're watching so much of the American culture crumble around us, that the good news is, just like in the book of Nehemiah, we can pick up those pieces and we can rebuild. And it's one of the reasons I wanna encourage you as California, that we can still see California restore liberty. God's not done with California. And I believe there's a, there's a real calling for you to pick up the pieces right here in your backyard and rebuild liberty. That's why I'm so thrilled to be at a church that is talking about candidates, that's talking about races, that's talking about what's happening, and specifically, as Michael was saying, an application of truth. Not just talking about truth, but actually going out and, and living it. So let me just start this morning by saying, be of good cheer. All is not lost. It's not over. Uh, this is actually a... A time where we're facing some real trials. So, uh, you know, I think we got to remember what James says, right? Right there in James 1. Count it all joy when you experience various trials because God will use those trials to make you perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So here we are facing these incredible trials in America. This is going to sound weird to some of you, but I believe you can fight these trials and deal with this and have joy in your heart while also being righteously angry. I know that sounds weird because those are like two, feels like it's two different things. But honestly, I am righteously angry when I watch them mutilating children, when I watch them doing the things that they're doing to our nation, when I watch them have an open border where children are being uh, trafficked, where, where, where fentanyl's coming to our nation like it is, where all these evil things are happening and we're just smiling at it as a, as a country in terms of our, of our government, I get righteously angry. But at the same time, I know that my joy is not based on these earthly circumstances. My joy is based on who's, who's I am Right? It's not based on who's, as you said, occupying, residing in the White House. My joy is based on whose I am and, and, and the fact that he can still use us even in that environment. And that doesn't mean that I've given up on us being able to save America. I've actually, I've actually had more hope for the future of our nation than I've had in a long time. Because in the midst of this evil, the left just doesn't know. They, they, you know they're, they're spoiled. They're selfish. They, don't, they, they can't help themselves. They have no self-control. So they have pushed so far, so fast, that they've awakened the giant. They have awakened millions of Americans in this country. And all of a sudden, people that would have never paid attention to a guy like me speaking or paid attention to these subjects, all of a sudden they're on the edge of their seat going, okay, I got to know what in the world can we do to save the country. I got to know, can government do these things to me? I got to know, you know, how to, how to deal with this. And most importantly, as a member of the church and as a believer, people are saying, I got to know what the Bible says about how to do this. What does the Bible say about how to be a good citizen? What does the Bible say about how to treat our neighbors, how to form our communities and our states and our, and our nation? And the Bible speaks to every one of these things. So here's the good news. Solomon was right. There is nothing new under the sun. Every challenge we're facing, every negative thing you see in our country, nothing new under the sun. The Bible has an answer for every single problem we're facing. If we're willing to be in God's word, study God's word, take that truth and apply it, as Michael was saying, we can turn the country around, but we have to be in God's word. I, I, you know, one of the negative signs in the culture, as George Barna points out, only 9% of Christians are reading God's word on a regular basis. 9%. So 91% of those who say, I'm a Christian, the Bible is what guides my life, 
are not reading the Bible to know what they should be doing in their lives. So we've all been guilty of that at times, but as a culture, we've lost God's word. We've got to restore it to its proper place if we want to be free again, because that is the root source of our liberty in this nation. This is not a complicated thing. You get liberty and freedom and prosperity and security and all the things we say we want. We get that on the output side if we're putting in the good inputs. And, and, and I, I'm a simple guy, I'm just a country boy from Dripping Springs, Texas. I'm here to tell you, you put garbage in, you get garbage out. You put good stuff in, you get good stuff out. And we've allowed in this nation the poison of cultural Marxism, which is garbage, to actually be sown into our children as a nation, sown into our education system, sown into our institutions to a point that we're now getting the garbage out. We're now seeing the garbage in our culture. But we don't have to look at that and go, oh, it's all over, we gotta give up. We can look at all that damage, we can look at all those negative side effects and say, you know what, I don't want that. I don't like that for my children and grandchildren. So I'm gonna look over here and say, what caused it? We know what caused it. We're gonna stop those bad policies. We're gonna get good people in office that will bring in good principles. It's not complicated. We are really blessed to live in a nation where we can stop this nonsense. We, the people, can stand up and say, we get to choose the leaders. We're gonna choose leaders that will put good policy in, that will bring a biblical perspective back. And that's actually, I'm here to tell you, that is happening in our country. You are not alone. I go to churches and groups all over the country. And just like when Elijah said, oh God, I'm the only one left. And God said, no, there's 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to I'm here to tell you there are millions in America that have not bowed their knee to bail. You are not alone. But it's going to take a lot of work. This is not going to be easy. I'm not here to give you some Pollyanna, wave the flag, and just feel good message. All right? This is going to be tough. We are, there's consequences for the stuff that we've allowed to happen in our country. So since we did as a church overall check out of the process for decades, we allowed the left to take over these institutions in our country, and they brought in a secular perspective and a secular worldview that has its consequences. And so we can turn it around, but it's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. And we've got to all be willing to say, okay, look, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to be depressed about what's going on, but I am going to shift my focus a little bit. I'm going to dedicate a few hours a week to studying freedom, studying what the Bible says about society and how I should do this, and then actually going out in the community and acting on it. Whether you run for office like the candidates you saw on the screen or, or you go you know, stand at the polls and, and hold signs or, or you go out and, and knock on doors or, or you donate to folks or you start a, a, a biblical citizenship study in your home for your neighbors and your family. I mean, there's so many different things that we can do to participate in this. I'm asking you this morning to, to just stop for a second, pause, and say, okay, I am willing to start sacrificing some of my time. I'm willing to give up a hobby for a little while and take the money I was spending on that hobby and give more to the church to be able to make a difference in the community or give to, to candidates or whatever it might be. I'm willing to give up that time and invest that time in my country. This is not a time in history where you can sit over here and just enjoy the blessings of liberty. Okay, we've, we've been spoiled. We've had that for a long time in America. This is a time where we have to say, okay, yeah, I want the blessings of liberty, but for right now I gotta pause and I gotta come over. We are at war in this nation. This is literally a culture war for the heart and soul of America. If we were in physical war, if all of a sudden America was in World War III, you know, most people in this room would say, hey, I'll do whatever it takes to save freedom, to protect freedom. I'll, I'll be gone for a year or two years away from my family to go fight, or, or I'll change my job to be able to work on something that will contribute to the cause. Most of us would do that 
if we were in physical, I would submit to you today that the, the spiritual war we're engaged in right now in America is more important and more, and more necessary for us to shift our focus than even if we were at physical war. So I don't say that to scare you or to, or, 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 or to you know, use hyperbole or any of that. I just say that's, that's where we are. That's the situation that we face. And if we face that head on, then we can sacrifice for a while and I believe turn this thing around and be able to hand our children and grandchildren a great nation. Uh, the last thing I would want is for us to be like uh, Thomas Paine talked about the Tories in the Revolutionary War. And he said, Tories are so selfish. They're so focused on themselves. He said he was at this tavern and he overheard this Tory saying, you know, as long as there's peace in my day, then I'm happy. And, and Thomas Paine's like, wait a minute, any real man would say, if there is to be war, let it be in my day so that my children may live in peace. That should be our mindset. So we, ha we have an opportunity to, to use the tools and the talents that God has given us. We have an opportunity, everyone in this room has an opportunity to make a difference. One of the cool things about being on this kind of teetering between liberty and tyranny and the culture could go either way at this point. One of the cool things about that is that you get to be the one, you get to be one of the ones that helps to push us towards liberty. You get to make a difference. These are not like Ronald Reagan said, pale and timid times. These are actually exciting times to be alive where you can be engaged in, in this thing. So that's what I wanna challenge you to do. And we're gonna, we're gonna start with kind of big picture here, and, and that is to look at the fact that, you know, the real problems we're facing. We got to be able to identify the problem. You got to assess the patient to be able to solve the problem. So we got to realize that, that, that it's not the, the politicians, it's not the petty tyrants that, that, that decided one person, a governor in each state, could make law for everybody. I mean, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, or whatever, you ought to agree that's a bad idea to let one person make law and decide for everybody. It's not the petty tyrants, it's not the, the sheep that gave up their rights and were willing to trade their liberty for a perceived safety. Those are not the problem. That, those are symptoms of the problem. The real underlying problem has been festering for decades, and we ignored it for a long time. And it's very simple. It's not, not exciting. It's not sexy. It's just simple. Biblical and civic ignorance. That is the root cause of everything. We don't know truth, and if we don't know truth, if we don't know the plumb line, when the lie comes along, we're deceived. So because we, like in 2 Thessalonians, it talks about, because we didn't love truth and know truth, the lie was able to take root. And so we haven't studied God's word and studied civics and studied history. And, and, and the result of that is we've created this Petri dish where bad government grows. And, and we've allowed that to happen. Now, the good news is we can come in with some immune boosters. <laughs> we can come in with some civic and biblical literacy, and we can learn these things and turn that around. I, I, I don't say ignorance to insult anybody. We're all ignorant about things, right? I'm ignorant about a lot of things. I'm very ignorant about how to get that dead gum weed eater string back on the weed eater when I'm trying to, you know, trim things around the house. I think, but I can solve my ignorance by opening up YouTube, you know, putting in the model of my weed eater, and in five minutes I can learn and get rid of my. Now it might take me an hour to actually fix it, but in five minutes I can solve it. You can do the same thing with whatever it is that you're feeling ignorant about, or it may be an area of the Bible, or maybe you know, like what is God's law on this particular thing that's happening in the culture, whatever whatever it might be. You can solve that very quickly by just being willing to be a student of freedom and a student of the Bible. So that's the very first thing I want to challenge you to do is take the time to study, to become a student of freedom and a student of the Bible. Once again, if you'll love God's word and study God's word, that that is absolutely the most important thing you can do to save this country. Now, I'm, I'm, I've dedicated my life to getting people to vote, to, to getting people to run for office. I train people to, to do this. I mean, 30 years I've been in this fight and on the front lines of this. But even with all of that stuff, I'm telling you, 
The most important thing is being in God's word. Because if we're not in God's word, then we do not know the truth, and therefore we will fall for the lie. We will allow, I mean, look at all the churches in America that have fallen for all this woke nonsense, that have, that have fallen for these lies about even male and female. I mean, we have churches that have fallen for the lie because we were not steeped in God's word. So if you don't remember anything else I said today, get into God's word and start studying God's word. On the, on, the, on the kind of cultural, political, whatever you want to call it, when I say politics, don't let that scare you. You know, there, there's a great quote by Charles Finney where he said, the church must take right ground in regard to politics. Now, that might scare you because you're thinking the church and politics, those aren't supposed to be anywhere near each other. But here's how he described it. He said, politics is part of a religion in a country such as this, and Christians must do their duty to their country as a part of their duty to God. God will bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take in politics. Now, that's a mouthful, but here's what he's saying. Politics is part of a religion in a country such as this. What does he mean? In a constitutional republic, where at the beginning of the Constitution it says, we the people, that puts you in the driver's seat. It means you are Caesar. So when Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's, you're Caesar. So how do you do Caesar well? You gotta read the Bible to know how to be Caesar, how to be ultimately the government. And so he's saying politics is part of a religion. That means if the Bible is true, if we're truly Christians, if we say, hey, I am following Christ and, 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 and I'm gonna fulfill the Great Commission, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, train disciples to obey everything he commanded, that's what the Great Commission is. If I'm truly doing all that, then there's no area of my life where I'm gonna say, oh, the Bible doesn't apply to that. Right? You, you would never separate the Bible and godly instruction from your marriage or from your, how you raise your children, or how you run your business, or, or, or how you spend your money, or any of those things. Why would we separate the Bible and God's instruction from our quote-unquote politics? That's not biblical. There is no area of our life that should be off limits. And that's what Charles Finney was acknowledging you know, 150 years ago. He was saying, politics is just another area of our life. It's just life. It's how we treat our neighbors. It's how we form society. So, the church must be salt and light in politics just like it would be in taking care of the poor or just like it would be in, 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 uh, in, in, in influencing education or entertainment or, or anything else. So never think when I'm talking about the Bible and politics that somehow we're violating separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution, by the way. Uh, that whole separation of church and state thing was about separating the institutions so that the king of England would not take over the church. That's all that phrase is about. And Thomas Jefferson meant something totally different by it. Take our biblical citizenship class, and we dive a lot further into that. But I, I just want you to recognize that politics is something that the Bible speaks to and that we as believers, if we truly claim to be Christians, we have to be willing to influence politics from a biblical perspective. And that's what Charles Finney was basically saying. So let's take a look at, at the principles that these guys gave us in the Declaration of Independence that we built our, our nation upon. I mean, they, they actually set in motion some concepts in 1776 that ultimately cre created the most powerful, most free, the wealthiest, the most benevolent. That's the part most people don't recognize today. We're the most benevolent nation in the history of the world. So they did all of this, and yet today we think of these guys as, you know, I mean, they, they were all a bunch of evil slave owners. Why in the world should I listen to them? I mean, these guys are evil. Why should we? And, and I'll tell you, I've studied these guys for 30 years. I will admit, I, I, I got to tell you, I found out something really amazing after studying these guys for 30 years. These guys that founded the country, they were human. Yeah, shocking, I know, I know. Uh, believe it or not, these guys sinned. Believe it or not, they did evil things. Just like you. And just like me. 
They were sinners in need of a savior just like us, okay? So what I'm saying is we don't deify these guys at all. But God used these flawed men to put in place principles that we still benefit from today. So before I get into the details, we gotta answer the question because America's on trial, I get it. You know, you got the whole woke thing over the last couple of years in the public square. It's been being poured into our schools for multiple generations now. But, but this whole idea of America's actually bad. And there are people that don't even think we should be trying to save America. They, they want to tear down the institutions. That's actually what's happening right now. That's, the culture's crumbling because people are literally tearing down the walls of our, of our nation. And so we do have to answer the question, I mean, should we even be trying to save America or should we start over? And so let me, let me just, real simple, again, I'm a country boy, so I keep it simple. Here's how you know whether or not this is a system, a nation, a, a value system worth saving. It's a real simple test. Are people trying to get in or are they trying to get out? That's, it's not, it's not complicated, really simple. Are they digging tunnels to get into this awful, horrible, racist, evil, unfair nation? You know, that's what we're told, right? Are, are, are they actually digging tunnels to get into a nation that's horrible? No, they're digging tunnels to get into a nation that is blessed, a nation that, that, that has more prosperity and more opportunity and all of those things than any nation on the planet. But they want you to believe it's a horrible nation. And just think about this. I'm just going to give you some data. Let me just drop a couple of truth bombs on you. There are more immigrants living in America than anywhere in the world. In fact, there are more immigrants in the United States than the second, third, fourth, and fifth nations combined. Now, that's, that's legal, illegal. We're not even getting into that debate. These are just people that are living in a nation in which they were not born. That's the definition of this, this data. Okay, so if you got more people living here than the second, third, fourth, and fifth nations combined, and more people, more immigrants here than the bottom 159 nations combined, then there must be something worth coming to America for. So why do so many people want to be in America? I mean, we, we, we call it the American dream. You've probably never heard of the North Korean dream. <laughs> right? Nobody digging tunnels to get into North Korea. They're digging tunnels to get out of North Korea. You never heard of the Cuban dream. I mean, you haven't even heard of the French dream. Come on. There's something about America that makes people want to come here. And it's the output. It's, 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 it's the fact that we're not perfect. We're flawed. But relative to the rest of the world, there is more opportunity and more equality and all of those things than any other nation. So, yes, America's worth saving. Absolutely, this value system is worth saving. And we've got we've to stop having this this idea that if there was ever sin in America, then America is evil and bad and we should, we should tear it down. Instead, we should say, even with the sin, because there are humans in the nation, even with that, because of the biblical principles, we were able to have the best nation in the history of the world. And so we've got to teach these things. We've got to start making sure that people understand just how valuable this, this system is. Uh, if we don't do that, if we don't teach what is really special about America and, and, and why uh, people want to come here. If we don't teach that, then we're going to lose it. I mean, this whole thing will be, will, will be gone in very short order. Um, Ronald Reagan put it this way. He said that, that uh, um, he, sorry, he said freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Now, he, what he's basically saying is in one generation, if you don't pass the torch effectively and the torch gets dropped, you lose the whole system. So if, if, if we're at, a, at, a, at this critical juncture in America right now, we're literally at an inflection point where we're about to find out whether the baton has been dropped. 
We're about to find out if there are so few people in America that understand what freedom's about that we could lose the whole thing. It's one reason I wanna really push you to action today because I think this inflection point is real. I think we are teetering between liberty and tyranny and you do get to be the one to push us one direction or another. It's sort of like that moment in, in, uh, in, the, in, in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar where, where um, they've already killed Caesar and, and, uh, and they're on the run and Mark Anthony's in hot pursuit and, and Brutus and Cassius have stopped for the night and they're around the campfire and, and, uh, and, and this, is, uh, this is act two, scene three and if you studied like I did in high school, that's page 67 of the Cliff Notes. Okay, so, um, so, 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 so here these guys are around the fire and, 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 and they're trying to decide, what do we do? I mean, are we gonna stand and fight? Are we gonna keep running? How are we gonna do that? I can't remember which one uh, said it to the other one. I never paid much attention in, in, in class. But, but, but one of them said, there is a tide in the affairs of men. If taken at the swell, leads on to fame and fortune, but if missed, returns life to the shallows. And, and, and I think... I think what he was saying, I never understood Shakespeare, but I think what he was saying in country boy terms, if you've ever uh, done, you know, uh, surfing, body surfing, I mean, here we are in San Diego, you've done a lot more of that than I, I have for sure. But if you, you know how it is, if you, if you hit that wave just right, you can ride it all the way into the beach. It's powerful, it's amazing. But if you miss it, then everything just kind of settles down and there ain't nothing happening. I mean, it's just like, it's boring, right? So the whole idea is there's opportunities, there's moments in life, there's moments of, of inflection points where if you hit that thing right, if you do it right, you can ride it all the way into the beach. We are in one of those moments. This will be a time in history where you someday are gonna be telling your children or your grandchildren about this, and you're either gonna say, you know, I mean, we had opportunities. I mean, Pastor Michael gave us all kinds of opportunities. We, we could have done all this stuff in our community, and, and you know, those Sorensons were always bugging us to vote and trying to get, another, get us to turn out and, and do things, and I just had too much to do, and we lost our freedom. I mean, Reagan actually says at the end of this speech, uh, I don't have it on the screen, but he says at the end of the speech, if we don't do this, we will be someday in our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like to live in America where men were free. Can you imagine having to tell your kids, yeah, it was, there was a time, there was a time, shockingly enough, folks, where, where you as a parent actually made the educational and medical decisions for your children. There was a time where you as a business owner, you made the decision whether to turn that sign from open to closed or closed to open, not some Yahoo health commissioner down the street. There was a time in America where pastors decided whether or not to open the church and sing hymns or hearses, whatever you wanted to sing. I mean, it, it, was, it was a time in America, some of y'all got that, thank you. Um, there was a time in America where the answer to the question, who decides, was the individual, not some government bureaucrat. So you see what I'm saying? There, there, there is, we're that close to being in our sunset years and having to explain that to our children. And it really depends on whether or not we're willing to fight, protect, and pass on the torch of freedom to the next generation. And I, I think this whole COVID thing was a test of where we are as Americans. How much do we recognize our rights and the violation of those rights, and how willing are we to stand up and say no? And, and you did it here. You guys were willing, you were willing to stand up and, and say no. I think we're gonna be tested again and again. I don't, I don't think this is over. I think there's ugly days ahead and, and, and it's why, again, I'm not Pollyanna. I'm not just waving the flag. I'm telling you, we're gonna reap uh, the whirlwind of, of what was sown into America. But the good news is, we can. if you read the Old Testament, you look at what happens to the children of Israel, same thing for them when they rejected God's law and they moved into worshiping all the idols. They had to live with the, the consequence of that. And it took time to get over that. But I think we have an opportunity here to be like Josiah. You remember for Josiah, couldn't sleep that night and they break out the scrolls 
and he's reading the history. He's basically getting a civics lesson. And his civics lesson, he goes, whoa, that's who we are? That's what God's law says? And if we follow God's law, we get all those benefits? And if we reject God's law and worship idols, we get all these, let's tear down the idols. And so he had them tear down the idols and it changed the whole culture. I really think, I don't know if you, you probably didn't waste your time reading all these Supreme Court decisions this summer, but I'm telling you, Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas were tearing down the idols that had been built up in this country for 50 years. They were tearing down the idols, you know, sacrificing children to Moloch. I mean, I mean, they literally, they go through the civic history in those decisions. So I think we have an opportunity for a Josiah moment in this country, and we can avoid having to tell our children and children's children what it was once like, and instead be able to say, you're enjoying freedom right now because of that time back in 2022 and 2023 and 2024, where we as a church and we as a people stood up for God's principles. So I, I, I will say, I want to ask you to join me in a, in a little civil disobedience on one particular item because I think it's probably coming back. I, I just, I'm telling, I had to travel all over the country during this whole COVID thing, and I just, I, I know I shouldn't have let it get to me so much, but the whole mask thing to me was living by a lie. You know, Ron Dreher had that book, Live Not By Lies. It, it comes from Solzhenitsyn, quote, uh, in, in, in communist Russia, and I, I just felt like every time if you were forced to put the mask on, that you were lying to other people, that somehow this was going to protect you, protect them and that somehow this thing was worse than it actually was and all this. So I really, I, I, I had a hard time and I had to fly all the time. So I'd walk into the airport and, and you know, I'd, I'd not be wearing a mask and I'd go check my bags and usually I could get by with it at that point and they wouldn't say anything. I'd just smile at everybody and, and uh, only guy in the whole airport not wearing a mask. It was kind of fun. Uh, and so then I would go over to TSA and check in and I'd smile real big and they'd say, you got a mask? And I'd say, yeah. I'd say, well, you got to put it on. I'd say, Why? Because I wanted to hear them say it. They'd say, because it's the law. And I'd say, wait, 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 wait a minute. Didn't you watch Schoolhouse Rocks as a kid? I mean, come on. I'm a bill from Capitol Hill. You know, Capitol Hill, that's where the representatives of the people are. You know, the ones that actually make the law. Not some senile old man walking to the teleprompter being led by Jill so he doesn't <laughs> fall off the deal. Make executive order is the law. And, and I'd say to the TSA agent, you're a law enforcement officer, you know, ought to know how the law is made. And of course, he would say, um, put your mask on or you're not getting on the plane. <laughs> to which I'd have to put the mask on to get on the plane. But it was a, it was a beautiful fake mask that said, Romans 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So I love to advertise that to the, to the folks. But anyway, uh, and then as soon as I got past TSA, I'd take my mask off and I'd smile at everybody in the airport and encourage them to take their mask off. It's really fun. And my favorite part was, and this is why I'm telling you all this, I think this is coming back. I don't, I don't, I don't think we're done with this. They, they have found a formula that works and gets people to cower and, and submit. I think it's coming back. What, no, no telling what it'll be or what they'll call it, but it's gonna try, they're going to try to scare everybody. So I want you to do what I did. The other thing I did in not wearing it is that as I walk through the airport, I want you to join me in being Katniss from Hunger Games. When they play the recording, you just do this. You just walk through the airport like this, okay? And uh, when they're saying, you got to wear a mask, it's federal law. And then when you're sitting on the plane and they say, you got to wear a mask, you just sit on on the plane like this and hold it up so everybody on the plane can see it. That's what I did all through COVID. My wife hated it. She'd elbow me like, stop it. You're embarrassing me. But join me in some civil disobedience and, uh, and be Katniss at the, at the airport. Okay, so here's the thing. How did we get to this point? How did we get to a point where we literally shut down earth? Like we, we, we stopped everything over a virus that you have a one in 1,000 chance of dying from if you're under 80. 
So, so, so why? Why would we do that? Why would we not be able to see the data? I mean, everybody in the country should have known when the Diamond Princess came into port, we knew the data on a, an enclosed structure where everybody on the boat was exposed to, uh, to COVID, and we knew what the percentages were. And yet, even though that was March of 2020, we still bought the lies for two years. We still kept our children out of schools. We still masked children when they didn't need it. We're now forcing vaccines on children that do not need them because they're not susceptible to the virus. I mean, why are we falling for all this stuff? And I would argue that the reason that we're doing that is because, as Ronald Reagan said, if we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. So Americans acted like snowflakes over the last two and a half years because we forgot who we really are. Americans are not snowflakes. We do not cower to this kind of stuff. But because we didn't tell the stories of who we actually are, because we didn't talk about the fact that on April 19, 1775, 70 guys out of a church stood against 800 of the king's finest. And that shot heard around the world was fired because they were willing to stand against tyranny. That's our DNA. We don't, we don't, we don't tell the stories anymore. We don't tell the stories of those guys and gals in New York that ran into burning buildings on 9-11 to save lives. They were willing to lay down their lives for others. We, we don't talk about these 16, 17, 18-year-old boys that stormed the beaches of Normandy and Iwo Jima and Saipan and all the rest. We should be telling the stories. In, in, in Texas, the, the, the guys at the Alamo that were outnumbered 40 to 1, 40 to 1. And the 32 men from Gonzales that answered Travis's call and fought their way into the Alamo to die for freedom. That's the DNA of America. That's your DNA. Even if you weren't born here, even if you're an immigrant, you get to graft in in America. America is an ideal. So we've got to rediscover who we are if we want to have the, the courage to stand and to not act like snowflakes. So if we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. So we've got to remember who we are. And Reagan also said it like this. You know, there was the uh, space shuttle exploded in, in, when I was a freshman in high school, the Challenger. And uh, all the astronauts died, and, and, and it was like the whole nation was mourning at once. And he goes on television that night, and he says, I'm gonna, I want to talk to the school children of America. You may be wondering why we would take a risk like that, why we would uh, explore like that. He said, listen, the future does not belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. America will no longer be the land of the free if we are not the home of the brave. We've got to find our courage once again. We've got to stop playing into this safety-ism. I mean, we're literally worshiping safety in this country. It's like playing it safe somehow is what, is what makes someone honorable. I mean, I, I drove by a company the other day, and the, the marquee sign on this big um, lumberyard place was, was the, the, the marquee said, safety is our highest value. Well, I, thought I threw up in my mouth. I, I mean, it was just, safety is our high. How is safety... If, if safety is your highest value, I think this is why it really bothered me. If safety is your highest value, then you will cower in the hallway with your ballistic shield and your bulletproof vest along with dozens of other officers while a maniac is murdering children on the other side of the door because your commander has decided that safety is a higher value than the virtue of sacrificing yourself for that child that you're trying to save. That is a messed up value system. And the reason the values are out of whack and that's the highest value instead of virtue is because we lost the source of virtue, God's word. 
And so if we come back to these things, we can, I, I just, I, I am so tired of playing it safe. I, I, I think people have played it safe all for the last two and a half years, cowering in their homes, buying the lies about, you know, government will save you. And, and, and they gave up their liberty for safety. And, and we know that you've all heard the phrase, it comes from Franklin's, we think it was Franklin that wrote the 1755 letter from the Pennsylvania Assembly to the colonial governor saying, if you give up your liberty for perceived or temporary safety, you deserve neither safety or liberty. So if we play it safe all the time, we will not have liberty. America's story is the opposite of playing it safe. America's story has always been about taking that risk, about being willing to, to sacrifice for the next generation. It's not about me, it's about my children and grandchildren. We've gotta get back to that. I mean, I can even tell you, in, in 1918, we treat, did this totally different. Spanish flu was 25 times more deadly than COVID. 25 times, that's a 2,500% increase. You were 25 times higher case fatality rate, and yet, in Spanish flu, the federal government didn't talk about it, didn't spend a single penny because we understood jurisdictions. Health is not a federal jurisdiction. That is entirely state and local. So you might be wondering, I mean, how in the world did we get through Spanish flu and survive without the little stickers that say stay six feet apart? You know, somehow, some way, we survived as a species without the stickers so we'd know to be six feet apart. Have you been in an elevator lately that says stay six feet apart? In the, how in the world are you gonna stay six feet apart in an elevator? We have lost our minds. The most highly educated people in history are idiots. I mean, it, we, we are, we, it's, it's insane. Anyway, the, the point is Spanish flu was horrible, and yet we fought World War I and defeated Spanish flu without doing any of this nonsense that we've been doing lately. Why? Because we were courageous, because we didn't fall for the lies. In fact, I'll give you the opposite of safety being the highest value. So you had all these officers cowering in the, hall, in the hallway. I mean, I'm embarrassed as a Texan that this happened in, in, in Uvalde. But yet, just an hour and a half from there, two years ago, the, uh, a crazy guy goes into a church and starts shooting it up, and my friend Stephen Williford runs out of his house barefoot, shoving rounds into his magazine with his AR-15, and goes and stops the wolf. He confronts the wolf by himself. That's courage, and, and it's time for us to reignite the courageous fires of liberty. So I, I want to give you a phrase that you may think it's kind of weird at first, but I got to tell you the backstory. I, I was doing a training in, in Nevada uh, in September of 2020. So we're five months into, into COVID. Um, you know, nobody's done anything. They've been at home for, for five months. And we do this course out, out there called Constitutional Defense of Your Family and Freedom. It's a handgun defense course during the day and constitution training at night. We have a great time. But we hadn't been able to do one for five months. And, and we still weren't supposed to do one. The governor of, of Nevada had, had shut us down and, and we had to sue, sue the governor in order to have this class because the governor actually wanted us to um, train handguns outside in 113 degree weather with everybody wearing masks in 113 degree weather and staying six feet apart. So I'm training people that have never touched a gun in their life and you want me to stay six feet away from them. That's real safe, right? I mean, idiotic, right? But anyway, we had to sue. We, want, we, we were able to keep the governor back. We had the class. It was amazing. People came in crying because they hadn't had fellowship in so long. You guys experienced that here. As soon as you started meeting and people could come in and you had people come all throughout COVID that weren't able to do that wherever they were worshiping before. Uh, it, it, was, it was incredibly powerful. Anyway, we have this class. It's great. 300 people. Everybody's going home. Well, I'm getting on a plane. My boys are driving back to Texas because they would drive 25 hours each way to this class so that they didn't have to get on a plane and wear a mask. That's the kind of boys I raised. Anyway, so these, 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 uh, the, the, the boys are headed home and I'm, I'm having to get on a plane because I was coming to California to do mission work behind enemy lines. And, um, and so I was, I was flying out here and so I'm, I'm, I'm getting on the plane and, the, and, and, and I'm texting my boys, you know, and you know how it is when you split with your family and they're going one way and you're going the other. You always say, safe travels, you know, be safe, whatever it might be. And so I'm texting my boys, be safe. Five months into COVID, 
all this stuff. I looked at that before I hit sin. I said, I am sick and tired of being safe. Delete, 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 delete. Be dangerous. I said, be, be dangerous to the enemy, be dangerous to apathy, and be an absolutely existential threat to tyranny. Sin. I was like, I was feeling really good. 20 minutes later, got kicked off my plane for not wearing my mask. That was great. Um, but uh, but, but I, sent, I sent it to a friend of mine, Tristan Gazelle, back in Dallas, Texas. I said, hey, man, check out this, this thing I just sent my kids. I think it's pretty cool. He's like, oh, my gosh, that's great. We got to make a T-shirt. So we made a T-shirt. Anyway, but, but the point is not to be dangerous just for fun or to be silly. It's about being a terror to the terrorist. It's about being the defender of the defenseless. It's about being dangerous in a way, just like the gospel is dangerous. You realize how dangerous the gospel is? I mean, this is not, if you were one to play it safe, you join the wrong religion, all right? This is, this is a faith that will get you jailed, get you beat. Look at Paul and what happens in Acts. This is a faith that takes chances because we know who's in charge. So we gotta stop playing it safe. We gotta be willing to be dangerous with a purpose, again, not to be silly. Think about the parable of the talents. You got three people that the master has said, I, I'm trusting at you with, with these goods, with these talents. Now, what are you going to do with it? And when the master comes back to see what they did with it, two of them were dangerous. They invested the talent. They worked the talent. They used the talents. They multiplied them. One of them played it safe, buried the talent out of fear. So two of them were doing power, love, and a sound mind. The other one was doing spirit of fear. And what did the, uh, the one that played it safe and gave into the spirit of fear. What were they described by the master when the master came back? Wicked and slothful servant. We don't want to be the wicked and slothful servant. You have been given a talent of freedom. God's given you freedom. He's given you the ability to choose who the leaders of California are going to be. He's given you the ability to choose who the leaders of the local school boards and city councils are going to be. Are we burying that talent or are we investing in that talent? Are we living dangerously, if you will, but we're living out that freedom in a way that we can bless the next generation. You know, I, I mentioned the Declaration of Independence earlier, and I, and, I, and I said, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Everybody here wants life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We all, we all love that phrase in the Declaration, but it begins with truth. We have to have the truth, which means we gotta be in God's word, but then on the other side of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So you got these bookends. If you want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for your children and grandchildren, you've got to stand on truth and you've got to give or refuse your consent. Consent of the governed is action. It's you doing things in the culture. Now, what are the things you can do? Well, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness require you to give of your life, fortune, and sacred honor. Because if you go to the end of the document, they got together and they signed the Declaration of Independence and, they, and they, write, uh, they, they, they put their signature right beneath that sentence that says that we mutually pledge, not to government, not to the flag, not even to the document, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. I'm asking you today to look around this room and pledge your life, your time, to start investing a couple hours a week being a student of freedom every day to be in God's word and say, God, speak to me from your word so that I can live in this culture as salt and light, that I can take your word and go be salt and light in the culture. So your life is your time. 
give of your time to freedom, to, 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 to this church being salt and light in this community. Your fortune, lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. Start giving more to the church. Start giving to candidates. Start investing more. And sacred honor, guys, we gotta restore a culture of honor. We, we've gotta return to a place where we're willing to say, I don't care who cancels me, I'm standing on truth. That I'm gonna be a man or woman of honor that I'm gonna set the example for my children, that I'm not gonna be silent because I'm afraid of being canceled. How many times I've been in Facebook jail and kicked off Twitter and all that stuff? Folks, that's a badge of honor. You gotta be willing to say, I'm gonna speak truth and let the chips fall where they may. Amen? So lives, lives, fortune, sacred honor. And if we're in God's word, then we can be men and women of Issachar. You know, the men of Issachar in the Bible, they understood the times and they knew what to do. These are weird times right now. Crazy stuff happening in this culture. So we have to be in God's word. We have to be in fellowship so that we can sharpen each other's countenance so that we can understand the times and then know what to do. Just as Michael was saying earlier, to be able to take this knowledge and go out there and be salt and light. You know, the cool thing about salt is that if, if you actually put the salt on and in the meat, you preserve it and you bring out the best flavor. But if you let the salt just sit in the shaker, the meat spoils. It rots. We have a culture that is rotting right now because we haven't been the salt. I know you have here, but I'm just saying as a, as a culture as a, 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 of the church. And so now if we can get that salt out of the shaker, if we can take this knowledge and actually go out in the culture and be salt and light, everyone in this room, you have a sphere of influence. There are people that listen to you. It may be five, it may be 5,000, but speak, let your voice be heard. James, also we're, we, we know that if you know what is right and you don't do it, that's sin. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In fact, I encourage you to read Eric Metaxas's new book, Letter to the American Church. It's so, so powerful. It's so true. We are in 1930s Germany right now in America, and we have a choice. We can choose leaders that are gonna keep going down the path to literally socialism and fascism and, and, and evil, evil things. If you don't think that can happen here in America, folks, you gotta pick up a history book. All right, we can either go down that path or we can do what Bonhoeffer tried to do in Germany, but most of the church wouldn't join him. And we can stand for truth and we can stand up and say, the church is not gonna bow to this, this distorted, uh, woke theology of Romans 13. Let me tell you how Romans 13 actually works. We are supposed to, in fact, submit uh, uh, to authority. And we are supposed to, in fact, make sure that government is doing good. But who is the government? We are. And so I'll tell you who's not following Romans 13. It's the representatives of the people that are right now not following Romans 13 because they're supposed to be following our values, but they only will do that if we let them know what those values are. All right, I know I'm supposed to be closing. So I wanna, I wanna leave you with a story from the Revolutionary War you may not know, may or may not know, but I think it fits where we are in the country right now as, as you look around and, and, and you know, you may, you may have given up. You may have come in, in here this morning looking for some hope, wanting to know that we could save the country, that we could save liberty. And there was a time in our founding that was far worse than what we're facing right now. If you, if you get in the time machine and you go back and you, and you get out of that time machine one week before Christmas, 1776, it was over. We had been defeated, at, at, literally decimated at Fort Washington, lost at Long Island. I mean, three horrible battles in a row. It, in fact, it was so bad. Just imagine if you were George Washington and you had 25,000 troops and 90% of them deserted you. That you went from 25,000 to 2,500 and you still got to take on the greatest military power on the planet? Every nation on the planet said no to helping the United States at that point because they all knew we were going to lose. 
Most Americans had given up at that point. So if you think there's a reason to look out and feel despair, get in the time machine, go back to one week before Christmas, 1776. And as we get out of our time machine, we're gonna walk over behind this guy that's writing next to the, candle, to the fire, uh, as, and just imagine a bunch of little campfires and soldiers sitting around them, and then this one guy, he's got the pen and paper. And, he, and he's writing, and we're gonna look over his shoulders, and we're gonna read these words as he's writing them. You've heard them before. He said, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this present crisis shrink from service to his country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Thomas Paine would finish out an American crisis and he would publish it two days later, three days later, and George Washington would read that and he would say, this is so profound, I'm gonna read it to all the troops. He, would, he read it to all the troops that were there and then another three days later on Christmas day, he does that impossible, makes that impossible decision. He decides to cross an icy Delaware River in the middle of a snowstorm to attack Hessian professional soldiers that had just kicked their butts three times in a row. And he decides to attack them. He captures 900 Hessian soldiers, does not lose a single American soldier. His troops swell back up to 15,000 in just two weeks. It's the greatest military comeback in the history of warfare. We end up going on to win the war. But it started with Thomas Paine saying, Summer soldiers aren't gonna win this thing. We need winter soldiers. Folks, I'm telling you, the evil that is marching across America right now is not gonna be defeated by a bunch of sunshine patriots. We need winter soldiers that are willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to go into battle. I'm willing to sacrifice whatever you ask me to do. And that are willing to submit to God's authority and say, Lord, you show me what to do. You, you tell me where I, my place is in this battle and I'm willing to go and then take those actions. Some of them are gonna be small actions. I've already asked you to spend time in God's word. I've asked you to become a student of freedom. I'm gonna ask you to become a constitution coach. Actually start hosting people in your living room. Start doing classes right here at your church in biblical citizenship. Get people to come in. I'm telling you, you take that eight-week class of biblical citizenship. You will be inspired. People will come back week after week and say, wow, I'm not alone. There's hope for our country. There's specific solutions to restoring America's Constitution. The founders put these things in the Constitution. There's a way to win this thing, folks. But we have to get knowledgeable, and then we have to be like the men of Issachar and know what to do. This is no different than Christmas of 1776. So don't look out there in despair. Instead, look out there and say, yep, it's hard. The giants are huge. The fortified cities are unbelievable. But unlike those 10 spies that depressed the people so that an entire generation had to die in wilderness, we're gonna be a church of Joshua's and Caleb's that say, the giants are huge, but God's given us the land. Let's go take this land back for our Lord and Savior and once again, make this a place where God blesses America because America is blessing him. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.